From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Hey, it's Crash Connell. Welcome to a fresh new podcast today on Stand Up For The Truth. To our radio listeners on our frequencies in Northeast Wisconsin and online at Q90FM. Dot com slash listen today thursday september 21st 2023 good morning mary danielson greetings and salutations <clears throat> good to be back for another fresh podcast andy woods is our guest today i want to wish him a happy birthday today uh, and always a rich time with him and there is so much to glean um, from the headlines uh, first a scripture and a prayer and then i will introduce andy and we're going to hit the ground running today Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, and he ha- as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Praise the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we are grateful beyond words for sending us your Son, that we can be redeemed for all eternity and share the gospel of hope to a lost and dying world. We pray for open doors and for boldness to speak the truth and show forth the love of Jesus. Help us be sensitive to the needs and struggles of others so that we can minister your love and grace. So we lift up our guest Andy today. Pray for blessing on his life and his family for increasing opportunities for the fellowship there to be fruitful for your kingdom. Um, please guide and protect and uh, give him wisdom in shepherding your flock. Keep him safe and in good health and his family too. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, Andy Woods today, pastor of Sugarland Bible Church, author and speaker Andy Woods, president of Chafer Theological Seminary, author of Babylon, the bookends of prophetic history, uh, and also Middle East Meltdown. I'm so glad he's back with us. Uh, always a lot of great insights into the word and the times we're living in. Good morning, Andy, and you have an app now, right? So good morning, and tell us about that app. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, it's great to be here. And we do have an app that's, um, you can get it at the App Store at uh, Andy Woods Minist- uh Just just Google, um, not Google, but put into the search engine there in the App Store, Andy Woods Ministries, and it should come right up. We're putting all of our um, you know content mm-hmm. onto that just in case we get kicked off one platform, yeah. hopefully people will be able to pick us up on another platform. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. I always have a backup plan, and I, I sometimes I'm surprised you guys are still on YouTube, but you can uh, catch Pastor's Point of View, or PPOV, um, on YouTube, and every week it's just a, a, a great uh, a great program. And I think the one that you had last Friday, um, it checks all the important boxes regarding Bible prophecy. I mean, there's nothing left out. So let's dive into some of the current trends and topics. And let's start with Israel, which really on any day is going to be a significant story pertaining to prophecy. And and so there's a stealth agenda going on by this um, 
untrustworthy to say the very least. O Biden, we call it the O Biden administration. Yeah. Um, what what's going on with the world further and further turning against Israel? What's going on with this backdoor stuff? Well, yeah, I like your expression there, O O Biden, um, because I largely think that the Biden administration is really Obama's third term. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe to me, President Biden. Uh, to me, seems just like a an empty vessel. You know, mm-hmm. you could pour whatever content you want, you know, and use him for your own purposes. But there was something that happened at the end of Obama's second term. Um, it's called United Nations Security Resolution Two Three Three Four. It was never um, debated by the American people. You know, it was never really passed with congressional oversight. It's something that he is doing through the United Nations. And, you know, basically what it does is it uh, acts like Judea and Samaria really doesn't belong to the Jewish people. You know, Judea and Samaria, sometimes called the West Bank, is a a territory that uh, Israel won in a war of self-defense, you know, going back to 1967. Israel isn't doing anything illegal. And so Resolution 2334 made it sound as if, you know, the Jewish people were illegally occupying the land. And Hmm. Trump came in and reversed a lot of that um, by moving our embassy, you'll remember, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He recognized uh, Israeli um, ownership, annexation over the Golan Heights, and recently what's happened is uh, Biden is reversing a lot of that, again, through either executive order or through um, further United Nations Security Council resolutions. So they came up with this thing where we're going to share, you know, technology um, and scientific advancement to the Jewish people uh, only if they're residing, you know, not within the so-called disputed territories. And after that, they are now are pushing, um, I think it's United Nations Security Council Resolution 2231, which basically reverses the Trump-era uh, policies concerning the Golan Heights, and makes it sound like, you know, the Golan Heights really don't belong to the Jewish people. The Golan Heights, just for the benefit of your listeners, is that rocky area up north, and it's a really important buffer zone Mm -hmm. between Israel proper and Syria. And the big three, as I call them, um, uh, Turkey, Russia, and Iran, are perched in Syria. So that's a really important, you know, military defense buffer zone. And now the Obama administration, Biden administration, is reversing, you know, the thinking on that by changing language. And so this is the kind of thing that you see happening over and over again with the Biden administration. Um, they're making it sound like they, the Jewish people really don't own Judea and Samaria. They really don't own the, the Golan Heights. And it's essentially um, through... 
I don't know, subterfuge, I guess I would call it, because no one is voting on this, and congressional oversight is not taking place over these things, you know, reversing a lot of the Trump-era policies concerning Israel. Wow, what a mess. And I recently ran into an article that says, is Syria on the verge of collapse? I think it was Gatestone Institute. And um, the current status quo in Syria is that it's really been divided since the Civil War, has simmered down a little bit into three major zones. And so the majority of the country is held by a Damascus-based government backed by Russia and Iran. How how convenient is that? Then there's an American-backed Syrian Democratic Forces. That's the second largest. And then the north and northwest is uh, owned, owned by Turkey. And their factions. How convenient is that for, you know, Gog and Magog? Um, it just seems like it was cleared out for a reason. You know, God's hand is obviously in that. But I also want to ask you about Hezbollah, and we've been hearing all summer about Hezbollah and Lebanon being perched in the north there on the Golan. And like you said, the Golan is so strategic to Israel. What? How does this tie in with the shenanigans by Hezbollah up in the north? Well, I think it, you know, it all ties in because, you know, all of these groups, um, I think, are just basically proxies mm. for Iran. Hmm. You know, Iran is the number one state sponsor, you know, of terrorism around the world. And the fact that Syria, you know, as you described it, is sort of um, a divided government, I kind of look at Syria the same way I look at the Biden administration. Hmm. It's kind of an empty vessel. And um, just like Biden is obviously being used by forces bigger than himself, Hmm. that's how I feel about Syria. Syria is being used by forces bigger than itself, and that's mm-hmm. why the the big three are perched there. And so I think when you tie in Hezbollah and all of these other groups, they're all, you know, if you follow the money, they're all basically joined at the hip. Um, and I think what's behind it all is Iran, who is in very strong cahoots with Russia. And that's how I kind of see it all connecting. Well, and then all the all the money. I mean, Obama and Iran, they had quite the connection. All the money, and now money billions have been released again from other countries. How can Iran? How can Iran not get a nuclear? Uh, you know, how can they not? I, and and of course, a terrorist state plus nuclear equals absolute disaster. But uh, that was Obama, right? He was uh, he was the one that was really on the side of Iran and always has been, and now Biden is too. Correct. Right. And, you know, Trump, um, you know, regardless of the fact that a lot of people don't like his tweets and, you know, all (laughs) this kind of stuff, Trump did just some amazing things for the United Mm -hmm. States. I mean, he took us out of the Paris Climate Accord, you know, because Trump is basically a nationalist and didn't see it in the best interest of the United States. And the other thing he took us out of was the very, you know, shaky very shady Iran deal. And immediately when Biden came into office, he reversed the Trump-era policies, both on the Paris Climate Accord and also on the Iran deal. And so, you know, just recently, what was it? They re- released, uh, I can't remember what the number was. I want to say $6 billion. Yeah, it was $6 billion. Um, it's like they're... It's like in basketball, what we used to call matador defense. You know, if you weren't playing defense right, the coach would accuse you of playing matador defense. It's almost like the Biden administration is is playing matador defense on this issue of Iran acquiring, you know, nuclear weapons. They're they're almost doing nothing to stop it. And 
as far as I can tell, they're basically greasing the skids, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make it happen in a more expedited fashion, uh, you know, while all while telling the public, you know, something completely different. So mm-hmm. the bottom line is the most of the public is not aware of this, but the Biden administration is doing some stuff uh, that's very anti-Israel, very pro-Iran, right under the noses of the American people, but they're camouflaging it. So, you know, unless uh, you're a real student of these things, you wouldn't even know what's going on. Wow. Wow. And and you also had, I mean, that's definitely something to watch. I think we're seeing the Lord's hand in setting up last day's coalitions and that sort of thing. Um, You also talk about um, uh, those who are urging Biden and the UN uh, chief to snub Netanyahu. Now, wasn't he, he was supposed to meet with Biden. Was that yesterday? And I haven't had a chance to see how that went. Of course, they're not exactly close friends, but I'm, I'm amazed at the um, all the academics and and writers, et cetera, et cetera, who are just um, just telling him to don't don't even not. I don't know if it's not to meet with him, but to, I don't know what was actually on the table. But it's a lot of it has to do with this uh, judicial overhaul and so many other things. But you say 3,500 Israeli academics, writers, artists, former diplomats, and other public figures on Friday called on President Joe Biden and UN General Secretary Antonio Gutierrez not to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu during the upcoming General Assembly Summit in New York. Have you been able to keep up with that at all? Um, I have not, so I don't know what the most recent okay. thing is on that. But I, you know, I just cited the article just because it's part of the spirit of, of the age. Right. They're they're looking at Netanyahu and some of the progress that he's making over there, as if he is leading some sort of you know right wing reactionary form of government. And here are Israelis; these are Israeli academics, uh, Jewish liberals, in other words, mm-hmm. urging Biden not to meet with Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. So these very liberal Israeli academics apparently are against uh, Netanyahu, who is actually functioning much like Trump did in the United States as a nationalist, you know, doing things in the best interest of his country, uh, you know, regardless of what the New World Order, you know, happens to think of it. And I guess this upset these Israeli academics, and so, you know, they kind of pooled their, uh, you know, collective signatures together, I guess, and voices together, and are trying to get uh, Biden to um, snub Netanyahu. Oh. So it's just a, a pattern that we're in where the Bible indicates that the world will turn against Israel. And that's what I'm seeing over and over again throughout the world. And I'm seeing it right here in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're turning on each other. And I don't remember ever hearing about such societal divisiveness in Israel on, on this level before. I just... I've. This is new to me. I have not heard of. Of course, if you're that far left, everything to the right of you is far right. That's that's how I look at it. But yeah, I mean, my basic understanding of the judicial overhaul that's taking place there is they they kind of have a Supreme Court um, that's a rogue court. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it was set up is they hire their own. If there's a replacement, the court replaces itself. So it's sort of become uh, kind of a left-wing um, uh, sort of independent bureaucracy, and it was constantly opposing, you know, conservative measures taken by Netanyahu and others. 
And what Netanyahu has tried to do is he's tried to weaken that. And the left has just gone crazy mm-hmm. um, with these judicial overhauls and things that they're trying to do because it weakens their power. And so they're trying to demonize Netanyahu. Uh, they're trying to, you know, invent scandals against him, much like they did, did with Trump, mm-hmm. much like they did, tried to do with our own attorney general out here in the state of Texas, uh, Ken Paxton, who was just acquitted. And they um, are basically are doing everything within their power to, to weaken him. And that's sort of the best um, explanation I, I have for it, because what Netanyahu is doing is weakening the left in Israel. Mm. Yes, yeah, something worth watching, and then also um, worth watching to see what happened with if they actually did meet yesterday or did not, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, something else about Israel, I thought this was very, very interesting. One of my favorite stories of the week is this railway that's supposed to bring um, India and the EU and, and the Middle East all together, uh, and actually the, what they're saying about it is has to do with the Third Temple. There's a lot of talk about the Third Temple lately, but uh, Andy, what, what is this railway um, thing? I think it's a U.S.-led initiative? Yeah, the U.S. is brokering this, but basically it's an economic corridor, um, and it's linking different countries together to Israel, one of them is Saudi Arabia, and that's a big deal to my mind because of Ezekiel 38, verse 13, where it talks about Sheba and Dedan, who I think is Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. protesting the famous or infamous Gog-Magog invasion, you know, which is predicted in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And for a long time, we've sort of scratched our heads wondering why the Saudis Mm -hmm. would protest the invasion. Well, now with what are called the Abraham Accords, and now the construction of this economic corridor, which will benefit the Saudis, now we start to see why they would protest, Mm -hmm. because they will be at that point in time, you know, economically uh, benefiting from the nation of Israel. So that would explain the Sheba and Dedan, you know, sort of, as verse 13 of Ezekiel 38 indicates, staging sort of a lame protest um, as this invasion is transpiring. But even beyond that, there's something even more significant to it. It's the rabbinical interpretation of this. And it quotes here in this article a rabbi in Israel who is describing that a train, which apparently this railway that they're going to build, you know, obviously is involving a train. He says a train is the best means to serve the temple, since it can carry more people without dangers or traffic jams associated with highways. Uh, He goes on and he says, becoming part of a transportation network will help this happen. And then he says, this is his rabbinical interpretation, God is preparing the way for pilgrims from around the world to arrive at the temple. So he's seeing this as something that is going to benefit temple number three. Now, to those of us that study prophecy, that's a big deal, because Israel has not had a temple for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. But we have always anticipated temple number three, being rebuilt because Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 indicates that 
the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple midway through the tribulation period, something that's an impossibility unless you have a rebuilt temple number three. So I think what's happening is the infrastructure is being put in place for temple number three to come into being, uh, which indicates that the tribulation period is approaching very, very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And if the tribulation period is approaching even rapidly, the rapture of the church, which precedes the tribulation, is approaching even faster. I think there's a real sense of anticipation. When you hear that this just rolls off a rabbi's tongue, and, and yeah. we're here, you know, that's the interesting part. It's, it's always in their thoughts, but now it's coming out their mouths. And I think that's very, very fascinating. And this article, if people want to look it up, it's in Israel 365 News. Dot com israel365news.com and it's world leaders announce railway that may bring pilgrims to third temple i thought that was just that one made me smile um but i guess the uh, initiative is about 20 billion dollars um it would boost trade transport energy resources and digital connectivity um so they have to construct railways uh, hydrogen pipeline fiber optic communications electricity cables so this is a big job but um Absolutely fascinating. You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We have Andy Woods on today. And right now we're talking about Israel. And you also have an article recently that you guys have been uh, going through on your pastor's point of view about Gog and Magog. Uh, Russia, Iran, weapons supply chain puts Israel at risk. Mossad chief Barnea hinted that he and his allies had a hand in blocking Russian-Iranian arms deals, which could have led to Iran getting nuclear weapons. We kind of touched on this a little bit. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Um, it says the Mossad and other intelligence bodies have thwarted 27 Iranian terrorist plots against Israelis on almost every continent so far this year, Mossad Director David Barnea said Sunday. Um, and I've noticed, too, I've heard some statistics that... Uh, it's up again, I mean, since Intifada. The most since, I think, 2005, a lot more terrorist attacks. So um, it's just going to get worse, right? Well, yes. And, you know, again, the reason these articles are interesting relates to Ezekiel 38 and 39, where it mentions Rosh or Russia and Persia or Iran, you know, invading the land of Israel in the last days. I mean, Russia, prior to the communist revolution in 1917, was basically a Christian Orthodox country. Mm. And, uh, of course, Persia uh, was a friend of Israel. Everything, of course, changed in 1979 when, you know, the Ayatollah deposed the Shah and Persia or Iran became Islamicized. And... You know, as all of these things are happening, 1948 transpires, and suddenly there's an Israel to invade. And so (laughs) what you're seeing is the conglomeration of nations uh, changing radically. I mean, uh, it's so fast that you almost get whiplash watching it happen when you look at the big picture here, you know, to fit the pattern that Ezekiel 38 and 39 says, a prophecy that probably seemed absurd, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Now the whole prophecy, you know, is completely and totally credible. And this article talks about Russia and Iran in cahoots with each other. Uh, That's the fascinating thing developing, is not just the posture of these nations against Israel, but they're cooperating with each other. And they're cooperating with each other to wipe out the Jews. I mean, this is talk of the Mossad here. 
the leadership is talking about how they've been able to thwart 27. <laughs> that's a lot, that's a big number as far as I can tell. Yeah. 27 Iranian terrorist plots against Israelis on almost every continent so far this year. I mean, the year's not even over. And there have been 27 attempts by this, you know, conglomeration of Russia and Iran, you know, primarily Iran, trying to wipe out Jews on every continent. Now, you read headlines like this and you see Russia and Iran and their posture against Israel, you see them cooperating with each other with arms deals and economic arrangements, and you see them actively trying to wipe out Jews um, for the Mossad has, you know, stopped 27 potential terrorist plots this year. And I don't know how people can read that and not see how the hand of God is moving radically in history to set the stage for Ezekiel 38 and 39. I I think we got to step back a little bit because we're so accustomed to the order of nations as we have them today. But like you pointed out with the Russian Revolution, uh, that was new on the world scene. um, And also uh, just the way uh, the 20th century unfolded with two world wars and Israel becoming a nation and Iran, which was Persia up until, what, the 20s? I think. I mean, God still sees it as Persia, so, I mean, you know. But Iraq uh, and so many other just um, um, maneuverings and machinations about uh, how all these things, we need to not ever forget how things were so that it's more of a marvel to see prophecy unfold. We're start, we start to take it for granted, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I like I like seeing how 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 much, how far it has come and just giving God the glory for putting all this together and helping to tell people that, yes, Bible prophecy is true, and this is why. Yeah, I I think that's such a good point, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking at the big picture. Um, You know, another thing that's so fascinating about that prophecy is these nations, the Bible indicates, will will invade Israel because of her wealth. Mm. And, you know, here's Mark Twain, you know, in that part of the world in the 19th century, and he basically says there's nothing over there. He wrote about it in his book called Innocence Abroad. Uh, There's nothing over there but, you know, desert and, you know, a wasteful expanse, a mournful expanse, you know, as he calls it. So how in the world could Ezekiel 38 and 39 be literally fulfilled? Well, just give it enough time, and history catches up to what God said. Not only is the nation of Israel reborn, not only do they get back uh, Judea and Samaria, but they also are in the process of becoming phenomenally wealthy, whether you talk about oil discoveries in Israel, mineral deposits in the Dead Sea, potential gold discoveries in Israel, you know, natural gas um, off Israel's northern, you know, coastline. Any way you slice it, Israel's becoming wealthy, exactly Mm -hmm. like God said would happen when the Jews returned to that part of the world. And she's becoming the envy of these hostile nations, and that becomes the motivation for the attack. So, you know, we're living in a time period where people are no longer able to say, well, that scenario in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is not is not credible. No one in their right mind would believe that. Oh. God has organized things so 
the scenario is very credible. It is, absolutely. I think back to, I like to look at Clarence Larkin's books from the, like, 1919 yeah. to 1925, and his incredible charts that he has. I mean, there's a phenomenal amount of work that went into these and a phenomenal amount of biblical understanding. But he has something called the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy, where, you know, he's got the main points, um, but, but then the valley in between the mountains is all, Everything that you and I have seen in the history books all these years, and he never he never said he knew what was going to happen. He he felt that Israel would become a nation and then Messiah would come right away, and so he had those two things together. But I I just uh, it's amazing, and and then there were other a lot of um, solid preachers from the late nineteenth uh, century who really did not ever talk about Israel prophecy because it wasn't really in their sight their line of sight at all. I've noticed that uh, Spurgeon and some of these other gentlemen didn't talk about prophecy much. Um, but, you know, go your way, Daniel, and you're going to rest with your fathers, and then uh, um, somebody else is going to see these things, and the prophets long to look into these things. So I'm um, here with Andy Woods today, and we're going to take a break shortly here. And when we come back, we want to talk about global tyranny, because it really is springing up on every continent on the planet. And uh, there's a tyrannical rule coming along. The spirit of the age is rolling like a freight train, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about the Pope a little bit, um, global warming. And there's an article here, 20 Common Functions of American Life the Government Wants to Regulate, Restrict, or Outright Ban. And I want to open up the next segment with that because I don't think people realize this is just a sidelight of this global tyranny. So we're going to come back shortly, and we're going to talk with Andy some more about um, that this whole infrastructure that is just it's like a mountain in front of our eyes. and. And we are going to be under its thumb, and we are already under its thumb in so many ways. So we're going to take a break uh, for two minutes, and we'll be back with Andy Woods after that. It's a good opportunity to also download his app. I went to the Apple Store, and it's Andy Woods Ministries. Downloaded really fast, so it's an easy download. And that was on the Apple Store, Andy Woods Ministries, for his brand new app. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. All right. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Pastor Andy Woods today. So much on the docket, especially a lot about Israel. If you missed the first half, you can always catch the podcast afterwards. Um, I want to tease a segment about the global tyranny, which I think we have all seen uh, forming in front of our very eyes. But this is an article by, by Leo Homan. 20 Common Functions of American Life the Government Wants to Regulate, Restrict, or Outright Ban. Um, and some of these are, are just uh, states, some are federal. Um, and, and he says, keep in mind that before the government moves to ban a particular item, it'll use the corporate mass media to put out propaganda attacking that item and how it's bad for the environment or some other liberal cause. Often the item or product we are told we must use in place of the banned item is worse. So here we go. Uh, wood stoves. Um, strictly regulated, uh, some models are already banned. Number two, gas stoves. Federal government uh, openly says it wants to ban. Gas generators, the government wants to ban. Gas cars and independent vehicle travel, taxed, phased out, banned, and replaced by 2035 with autonomous electric vehicles with a remote kill switch. That's a whole other program, practically. Uh, the next one, air travel will be heavily taxed and regulated, soon to be restricted and rationed. Gas lawn equipment, wow, government wants to ban that. I don't know why. Supplements, regulated, government plans to ban. 
Next, over-the-counter cold meds, which are already banned. Uh, Berkey carbon filters for clean drinking water. The EPA is trying to ban that. Heaven forbid we have clean drinking water. Physical cash and coinage. Um, they obviously started phasing that out during COVID, and it will be replaced by digital programmable, programmable money, and that will also have an on and off switch. This is happening in some countries. Not, It may not be to that degree here, but it is already happening. The next one, physical ID cards. Now, that would be paper or plastic being replaced by digital and biometric like facial ID, palm scans, eyeball scans, which is already happening in hospitals and ballparks. Next, borders and boundaries between nations. Uh, yeah, they're on the endangered list. Already banned by most Western nations except when convenient to harass law-abiding citizens. Next one, national citizenship and national sovereignty. Of course, the global citizen is up next. Um, genders, Gotta ban-, ban those genders because it's all fluid. Uh, rainwater capture, which is already regulated in at least 13 states, including California, Oregon, Nevada, Wisconsin, Colorado, Illinois, Georgia, Ohio, North Carolina, Washington, Rhode Island, Utah, and Virginia. And I suppose gardening goes with that, too. They've been talking about that for a while. Private well water is being regulated in some states. California plans to meterize wells, so they're going to sell you your water back. Um, number 16, uh, 17, removal of water from creeks or streams, uh, regulated, plan to ban. Backyard gardening, I already mentioned that. Um, registration is encouraged. Also, the last two here, firearms, we know how that's going, um, in New Mexico anyway. And then finally, the ability to procreate and reproduce, severely discouraged. The plan is to ban and replace with artificial insemination and designer babies that will be grown in labs. So, wow, say goodbye to all of that stuff. Andy, talk to us about the global tyranny that's going around and what the Pope is up to these days. Well, on that list, you know, from from Leo Homan, I mean, I am seeing a common thread Mm -hmm. or common denominator. You know, you're talking about firearms, um, wood stove, gas stove, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, to me, the common thread is independence. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a gas stove, wood stove, firearm, and, you know, your own vehicle without a kill switch, you're independent of the state. And it seems like they don't want you to be independent of the state in any way. They want you completely and totally dependent on what the state says you can buy, uh, what sources of power you can have, and if you behave the wrong way, you know, you talked about the kill switch. Um, they flick a switch and you're locked out, which mm-hmm. is what the Mark of the Beast system is about. So, you know, I guess I would look at all of these things as sort of paving the way for, you know, the type of totalitarian tyranny that the Bible, you know, anticipates for the last days in the famous or infamous Mark of the Beast passage in Revelation 13. But concerning the Pope, you know, to me, this particular pope is very interesting because what he is doing is he is putting a religious kind of veneer on the New World Order, kind of some spiritual happy talk. <laughs> uh, to understand the New World Order, you can't just analyze it from the economic level and the political level. Those are important legs, you know, in a three-leg stool. But another very important angle that a lot of sometimes is missed is the spiritual angle. There's a spiritual component to it. And people have to be sort of convinced that, 
you know, accepting all of these regulatory controls is really what the Bible or Jesus wants us to do. Because after all, it's a very Christian thing, the Pope is saying, to be involved in creation, you know, creation care. So basically what he is doing is he is taking the New World Order agenda, whether it be, you know, no borders or whatever, and trying to make it sound as if, well, that's what Christendom or Christianity is all about. And it's just another way of desensitizing the masses and making mm-hmm. people think it's moral and ethical and spiritual, you know, to pursue these sort of, you know, globalist uh, uh, aims and purposes. Yeah. Yeah, basically that list to me is terms of surrender. You know, you will give yes. up these things. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting insight that those are all things that people um, will look to to have an independent life. I mean, it's absurd, of course, but some of the things the Pope says, you know, he some of this is absolute rhetorical nonsense because he was, uh, Pope Francis announcing that he will issue a new document on the protection of nature said on Wednesday, he was doing so because a terrible world war against the environment was taking place place now we're redefining world war he says describing nature as a sacred gift from the creator he urged people to take the side of victims and of environmental and climactic injustice what is he talking about (laughs) well what what he's talking about is gaia um gaia is mother earth theology you know paul the apostle in Romans 1 says if you reject uh, the true revelation of God, Mm. you'll worship the created thing, Mm. you know, in the place of the creator. So as our world has become more godless, you you have to fill the void with something. And so you worship the created thing, and in this case, the ultimate created thing is the earth. So you start looking at the earth as if um, it has, you know, human attributes. Um, And so this is how they explain the heat wave that we just had. This is probably how they're trying to explain, you know, the fires, you know, that that occurred in Maui. It has to do, this is how they explain tsunamis, earthquakes, you know, kind of Danny Glover, you know, theology. (laughs) You know, Danny Glover back in, uh, what was it, 2010, uh, blamed the Haiti earthquake on the fact that, you know, the United States, you know, took an unfavorable ruling to the earth, you know, at the Copenhagen summit. Uh, so this this is a uh, part of the thought process of the, you know, pagan elites that's been in place for a long time. You know, all the Pope is doing is coming along and making it sound sort of spiritual right. by talking about things like, you know, climate justice and sacred, you know, the earth is a sacred gift from the Creator. It's just warmed over, you know, Gaia theology is what it is. Yeah, and it just becomes nonsensical, and somehow they understand each other, but I sure don't. Here's (laughs) This is one of my favorite stories in in a way. It is absolutely chilling. This blew me away. Klaus Schwab urges world leaders to grant WEF full government control over nations. Andy, tell us what kind of, uh, what is... You know, what I'm, you know what I mean? I just can't believe that he would say something like that, and he wants government leaders to cooperate with them or, or face losing their power. What, what does Klaus Schwab mean by all this stuff? Yeah, um, you know, he has been talking about his uh, global reset for a long time yeah. now. He's, you know, well-published on it, and, you know, he's speech, speech after speech that he gives, you know, he talks about it. 
um, Schwab boasted to global leaders gathering for a particular summit called the uh, ASEAN okay. Summit yep. that took place recently. <laughs> and by the way, just um, of note here, I don't even think he was invited to this. <laughs> the way I'm reading this article, he just kind of jammed his way into it. Um, but him and his daughter, also a uh, recording has come out, where basically what she was saying in this recording is, look, what, we, what we're doing with COVID, it was a video that was done around 2020. What we're currently doing with COVID in terms of all of these lockdowns and mandates, we're about to do with the environment. And so this is what Schwab Sr. is talking about. The world will look differently after his great reset. Um, he looks, uh, he says, quote, what we have come to confront is a deep and systemic and structural restructuring of our world. This will take some time and the world will look differently after we have gone through this process, you know, close quote. And so basically what he's arguing for is we have to use a crisis, you know, and I call them a man-made crisis, mm-hmm. you know, mandemics and pandemics, Man. not, <laughs> uh, plandemics rather, not yeah. pandemics. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to create a crisis and then we're going to dangle global governance as a solution to the crisis. And only global governance will fix the crises because the crises are global. Mm. COVID is global. Uh, so-called anthropogenic climate change is global. So accept our global solution to these global problems. And what he's saying is the individual nation state can't solve these global problems. So just like in our own system, the state governments have sort of taken a backseat to the federal government that I call Fedzilla um, (laughs) because our problems are national and they can't be handled at the state level. He's basically making that same argument concerning global governance. The nations have to acquiesce, you know, to overarching transnational government, and that's the only way to fix our global crises. And then here comes the Pope saying, hey, this is a Christian thing to do. Here's some spiritual veneer on the whole thing. Wow, and, and here's, I don't want to miss out on the nuance of some of these things with COVID, because I've said this before, but I believe that with COVID was going on, one of my first observations was, this is the first time I've seen the world, the whole world, focused on one thing. And now we're kind of getting used to that, right? They're all focusing on all the same things, at the, all those who dwell on the earth. You know what I mean? There's just that little phrase in Revelation that says, all those who dwell on the earth will have all the same issues. So there's a little nuance of things that, that has happened since uh, 2020, and the world definitely changed radically. I also want to mention that you mentioned the ASEAN Summit, Southeast Asian Nations Summit. Um, I think some uh, some time ago I was reading about this um, 10 blocks, 10 economic blocks in the world and so they've been around a while, and I think there's there's a Middle East block. There's these are trading blocks. We had NAFTA and all that other, uh, all those other kind of groups, um, and they were dividing the world up into these ten segments, regional economic blocks, where they would have economic cooperation and and a lot of trade going on. Um, and and then there's always the thought that there will be ten um, nations in the EU, and the Antichrist will rule over them. Do you have any thoughts on, this brings up that, that question that I like to ask, do you have any thoughts on the world being divided up into those ten toes? Well, I do. You know, the Club of Rome, a few years back, had the world divided, and there's a whole map that yeah. they have. Yeah, I've seen um, that. Yes, and they 
had the world divided into ten regions. You know, not nine, not eleven, but <laughs> exactly ten. Right. That seems to fit really well with the ten toes of Daniel two, describing the Antichrist's future kingdom, and also the ten horns of Daniel seven. I've always uh, felt, well, maybe not always, but of recent, I felt that a lot of prophecy teachers had it wrong when they were totally focused on Europe. They were always talking about ten kings arising out of Europe. But when you look at Daniel 7.23 carefully, you'll see it's not just Europe. It covers the whole earth. Mm -hmm. I would see Europe playing a very important role as one region, but it's certainly not the whole uh, uh, enchilada. Uh, There's actually going to be ten European economic communities called by different names, you know, dispersed throughout the world. In fact, the Hmm. uh, progenitor of the European Union in his uh, memoirs, just before he died, he said, look, uh, you know, Europe is just a stepping stone on the way to the new global order. So what we've done in Europe, by regionalizing Europe, you know, bringing the tiny European nation-states under one military and economic umbrella, uh, we're going to replicate all over the world. And the Club of Rome says, yeah, let's let's have ten. One of the regions is right here in North America called the North American Union, a union between Canada, Mexico, and the United States, a race sort of the sovereignty between those countries. Mm-hmm. Give us one currency, you know, maybe it'll be called the Amero, and maybe that's the reason why our, you know, elite politicians could care less about border enforcement yeah, right. between uh, the United States and yeah. Mexico, because they've already, in their minds, regionalized us into one conglomerate. But I, the way, I guess the way I'm seeing it is there's going to be 10 of these regions all over the world, and the Antichrist is going to come to power, you know, through that structure. Yeah. It's interesting, too, when you look back again at the 20th century, right around the time of Israel becoming a nation, uh, the common market, the European common market, was being formed back then. So now we have uh, parallel tracks for Israel and the Gentile nations that God put into place all at once, and I think that's something people maybe don't connect the dots on. But the EC, uh, the EU, the uh, the Rome, um, and, and then all the treaties, Maastricht Treaty and all those that provided all these layers of law so that Europe could become a super state. That's another thing we should probably take a step back at and look at how Europe has grown. It's taken a while, um, but I don't know what's next for Europe. Um, uh, I don't know who's going to rise to the top there, but it sure is going to be interesting to watch. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I would just encourage people along those lines to look at all these prophecies coming together in tandem. You know, it's not just an isolated prophecy. Uh, the the rebirth of Israel being the key prophecy, most would call that the super sign of the last days. But alongside of that, you have this ten uh, regions. You have the movement away from cash. Mm-hmm. You have the economic corridor, which will enhance, you know, Temple Number Three. You have the Pope speaking the language of one world religion. You have Israel becoming wealthy. It's like, you know, how many times in your life can you be struck by lightning? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I wish some of our statistical friends that understand statistics would look into this subject and explain the statistical improbability yeah. 
of all of these things not happening in isolation, but coming together in concert. Yeah. I know they've done that with the first coming of Christ, right. where they've given the statistical impossibility of just eight prophecies of Christ's first coming coming yeah. to pass in one person. Um, we need someone to look into the second advent prophecies mm. in the time period that we're living in, and all of them coming together in concert. Yeah. Yeah, Grant Jeffries did a great uh, piece on that. Uh, what are the odds of the exponential of even just those eight, or even just half of those eight, being true in one man? And now, uh, and now, like you said, I think um, you know I've been watching this for a very long time, and I knew I knew it was going to unfold just the way I was hearing. We were studying Revelation back in the eighties. I knew it was going to happen that way. I was just you know, buckling my seatbelt, you know, waiting to see what happened. And here we are on the edge of our seats. And I love how you listed all those various things. Um, we've got about nine minutes left. Um, the, the coin shop owners, okay, the bank accounts of the coin shop owners being shut down. Uh, three separate coin shop owners have found their bank accounts suddenly shut down without any prior notice or explanation from their financial institutions. Uh, an Ohio-based coin shop owner recently took to YouTube to share alarming news that his regional bank, with whom he's been a customer for years, has suddenly decided to sever ties and close all six of his business and personal accounts, his wife, his kids. What's going on? I mean, it, again, we're talking about personal liberty here, I think, at the end of the day. What's the issue with a coin shop owner? Well, you know, these businesses have gotten into, you know, what's called stakeholder capitalism, um, you know, where your function is no longer to, you know, maximize profit for your shareholders, but it's to make all of these sort of liberal groups happy with what you're doing, you know, concerning the environment okay. or concerning COVID or whatever. And so what's starting to happen is these banks, because they're pursuing this stakeholder mentality, is they're just um, canceling. You know, the accounts wow. of people that, frankly, um, if I were uh, running a bank, I'd, 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 I'd want their business. I mean, this has happened mm. to Mike Lindell. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're, if you're running a bank, wouldn't you want Mike Lindell as a customer? Sure. I would think so. But Mike Lindell is on the wrong side of the narrative. He's talking about, you know, fraudulent voting machines, yeah. and that doesn't satisfy the stakeholders. So... Uh, Mike, you can't bank here anymore. Uh, this happened to Nigel Farage, who right. was on the wrong side of the Brexit issue. Yeah. It happened to Mercola, uh, Doctor Mercola. Yeah, yeah, Mercola, who's on the wrong side of the the Vax issue, and now it's starting to happen to these people that um, you know are distributors, retailers, sellers. I guess I should say of gold. Yeah. I mean, we don't want people buying gold because right. that makes them independent of our cashless system. So all of a sudden these bankers, I think this was in Ohio, if I remember right, yeah, right. and it just uh, they just all of a sudden discover that uh, you, you don't have an account here anymore. And by the way, we, we can do it because you look at the fine print, you know, in the document that you signed oh. when you opened an account here. And this is the result of this sort of stakeholder capitalism. It's shutting people out economically that are on the wrong side of whatever narrative the left is trying to push. Mm. To me, it, it's sort of setting the stage for the mark of the beast, yeah. because that's what God said would happen. People that will not worship the Antichrist are suddenly locked out of the economy. Yeah, so, yeah you don't want people I, I, buying gold and silver and, and hiding that away in their homes. I mean, 
wow, they might have some buying power, you know, to get around the, the digital stuff. And then Klaus Schwab, in the article, because we had just talked about him, he said that the future is what I call stakeholder capitalism, which is combined with social responsibility, um, where companies seek long-term value creation instead of short-term profits, and governments cooperate with them. Wow, what a yeah. what a mess. <laughs> you know? Well, it's 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 um, changing the business model. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah. was a business major in college. I mean, we were always taught that your function as a business or as a corporation is to maximize shareholder return, who are the actual owners of the company. This this new model that they've pushed that apparently is being embraced by many major businesses is no longer that model. It's this you know, what they call the stakeholder model. Wow. And that's what Klaus Schwab, you know, is articulating. Yeah. Where, you're, where you're in business, you know, for other reasons, you know, universal health care and the environment and, you know, whatever else. And um, this allows businesses to actually punish people uh, that don't think the correct way on all these politically correct causes. Yeah. Unbelievable. We learn more every day, don't we, about the shape of the final <laughs> world. I mean, the end, the end is taking shape rather quickly. And if there's, if there's seven more years, can you imagine? And if it's three and a half years, uh, until the, uh, mark of the beast is, is required, how close are we? That's just incredible. We only have two minutes left. Andy Woods, any last, uh, last words for us about anything you're, you're studying and looking into, uh, that we can look forward to coming up on Pastor's Point of View this week? Yeah, well, I'm I'm just getting ready to record, and uh, today, actually, I'm going to get off the phone with you and drive over to the studio and get that done. Great, and it'll be dropped um, Friday morning. It's when we, you know, drop our presentations onto our, you know, different platforms. Mm-hmm. But you know, Biden <laughs> just made a speech before the United Nations, and you read that, you watch that speech, or you you read excerpts of it. It's like, is this guy? It's almost like the guy is running for Antichrist or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's like he's auditioning to be Antichrist. He's he's talking about everything that we've been talking about the last hour. He's promoting the two state solution. He's open now about that. Um, you know, uh, the the economic corridor has now come up in his speech. Um, the whole focus on globalism. How you know we can't be uh, lone rangers? We've got to be you know uh, you know the, the multi approach rather than the uni approach. Um, uh, what does he call it? Uh, not unilateralism, but multilateralism, which is just sort of code speak for globalism. He's pushing that, and uh, you know it's just stunning how many prophetic issues you know can surface. In, in one speech, and it's obviously the guy has no idea what's happening. He has no idea that he's speaking things that God said would happen, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of years ago. He's just sort of an empty vessel. Yeah. But it just shows you, you know, the time period that we're living in. God is using all of these players, you know, to set the stage. Yeah for the end-time scenario that he spoke of in his work. Wow. Amazing. And always keep your eye on Israel. They are the timekeeper for all of these things. Andy, thank you so much. I know you're a busy guy, and we just appreciate you so much. We appreciate your ministry and all the wisdom and the things you have to offer. Uh, so thanks, and we'll hopefully have you on again this uh, later this fall. And um, Lord, bless your travels and your studies and all of that. Thank you so much. 
So, um, good to be here. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, uh, another podcast uh, accomplished here. Spread it around uh, uh, to um, on your social media. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a good one.